welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 96. We're joining every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at BJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. Hey, this week we have another part one of two, an interview with Ashley Connell. Why did we reach out to her uh, initially? So I actually remember meeting Ashley back when she worked for Spiceworks, and I followed her on LinkedIn and found out she had started her own company that does something really interesting. And I thought it would be fun to capture that career journey of how she got from marketing to entrepreneur. Indeed, indeed. I, I was uh, editing the uh, episode, and it, I just came across a whole bunch of stuff that I, I found interesting, and I don't want to, um, to really ruin you know, the surprise, but um, she just had like a really interesting career and benefited from a lot of um, mentorship and sponsorship. I thought that was something that was uh, pretty critical early on in the interview that she talked about. Oh, yeah including her first boss that was able to align something that Ashley really wanted to do with her daily tasks and projects back when she was at Spiceworks. But you know what, John? I'm not going to spoil it anymore. I think we should go for it and get to part one with Ashley Connell. Ashley Connell, thanks for joining us on The Nerd Journey. Oh, y'all, I'm pumped. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Can you tell us um, a little bit about um, what it is that you do today, like what your your job role is and what you do? And then after that, we'll get into your maybe career background. Absolutely. So today I am the CEO and founder of Prowess. What we do is we help companies find expert talent by vetting and certifying women who took time off of the workforce and want to get back in. So those could be caretakers, that could be a leader who wants to take a step back or someone who's pivoting in their career. And so we built out a job matching platform that matches not only on the skill and expertise of the person with the role they'd be going into, but also behavior style, communication style, personality style with the team that they would be joining. So we're seeing that it's just a better candidate role fit overall. Oh, that's really cool. I, I'm now actually, I want to hear all about that, but I, I will go back to the question, like, how did you get there? What, what did your, how did you start your career? And uh, what are the steps that took you there? Oh, this is, this, I, I think this is a good story. So um, I graduated from University of Texas and I had a PR degree. I in no way wanted to do PR. Um, I, I, talked to someone about it and I was like, eh, no, not for me. So I started looking for internships uh, in marketing and stumbled upon this company called Spiceworks. And so I was like, hmm, I have absolutely no idea what this is. I know absolutely nothing about technology, but they're looking for an entry-level marketing role. So I applied, uh, get to the interview, and here I am, if you can picture, not even out of college, like just so naive in my full on power woman suit. I had a briefcase. I am ready for this interview. And I was meeting my will be boss at uh, Starbucks. So I get there and I'm 30 minutes early and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. She doesn't show. And I was like, okay, not the way that I want to start. So I, I get into the car. I'm like, I'm driving down the street and I get a call from a number I don't know. 
and it's Jen Slasky, my the woman who was going to be interviewing me. And she apologizes. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that I missed this. Uh, we had a million things going on with what's called Spice World. I'll get all into it. Don't you worry. But uh, can you meet up now? And at this point, it's it's 530. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can. Do you want to head back to Starbucks? And she's like, no, not really. This has been a, a tough day. What are your thoughts on margaritas? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> as long as I can take these heels off, I'm in. So anyway, <laughs> met at... Um, met at a Mexican restaurant that we would go to probably once a year just to celebrate. And I was her first marketing hire. So what that meant was I was the guinea pig. They gave me all the things to go try and it was my job to figure out, okay, is this going to sink or swim? And if it was going to sink, cool. Why? What do we learn? Or if it was going to swim, awesome. Now let's hand it over to someone who can really scale this thing. So uh, I was in the Austin office for about four years. Then they asked me to hop on over to London to open up their UK office. And that was just such an amazing experience. I, I went from um, really focusing on the US to really looking from a global perspective on marketing. And I am forever grateful for them and that time in London. I, it opened up my eyes to so many different things. So I came back two years later and went to a another startup. And it just it wasn't my jam, so we can... Wait, um, before you move past Spiceworks, I actually have a couple questions, if I may. Um, Absolutely. So I know Jen Slasky. I've met her before. <laughs> and of course... Uh, that's where all three of our stories kind of intertwine. You know, John yes. and I met through the Spiceworks community. That's how I knew you through the Spiceworks yes. community. I had met you before at some at some meetups in Austin. I've been to HQ, all the good stuff. Now, what I want to know is knowing Jen Slasky and knowing that Spiceworks had kind of a startup culture, what was her feedback on you being all dressed up for the interview? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... Again, I'm all dressed up, right? I got heels on. She's like, absolutely take those heels off. She shows up in a baseball cap, like a, a full on, I think she was supposed to go to a softball game afterwards, like a full on softball, almost uniform. And there I was in my power suit. She's like, Ashley, that's, um, that's not really how we dress here. I mean, if that's kind of what you want, but t-shirt and jeans are just fine. <laughs> I learned quickly. Nice. Now, not really having a lot of experience in the technology industry, how did you feel about working with a bunch of people who were IT professionals at first? Great question. I think it's all about being very comfortable in it's okay to not know. It's okay to ask questions. And so I, I constantly, when I was talking to the IT professionals, I would remind them, hey, I'm the marketing person. I'm the person who is going to help the Spiceworks brand spread and how we're going to connect marketers to IT professionals. My job is not to know um, bits and bots, and I still don't know bits and bots. So, um, but everyone was so gracious and cool, and it didn't matter. At the end of the day, we just all loved this brand that we were bringing together and this community we were all bringing together. So it, it really just didn't matter. And with the Spiceworks community being kind of male dominated from a gender perspective, what was that like from a female perspective? It was tough. It was, it was tough. Um, the, the hard part about being a female, especially, what was that, 15 years ago, is, candidly, you don't know someone's intention. And so you want to assume the best, right? You want to assume positive in intent. But when people are trying to help or people want to take you to coffee for a potential career advice, that's not necessarily what they are coming to the table with. And that's really scary. And it's really hard to sniff out as well. Um, 
Spice Works was a super safe spot, so there was no nothing got out of control. But on top of, of that, there was also a comment here and there that would be a little inappropriate. And I, I'm, I'm not a saint. Like I, I'm okay, and I can you know hang out with the best of them. But sometimes you just had I had to pretend that I didn't hear it, and that's horrible. I never ever I do not do that. Like I, if I could go back, that's the one thing that I would do differently. And I wouldn't say it in a mean way. I would just say, "Hey guys, remember me? <laughs> Two X chromosomes over here. So let's just keep it light." <laughs> it's really interesting to hear that perspective. Um, I'm sure it's that way um, in a lot of places, which is not okay, right? Um, but I think that it's also very difficult earlier in your career when you feel, you know, not that safe or sure of yourself and in your path to stand up for yourself and, you know, for an entire class of people even to say, Hey, it's not okay to say that in front of, you know, women, much less, you know, just me. Right. Right. Anyone. Like, right. 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 Yeah. It was. It was. It was really tough. And um, I, I actually talked to several women younger than me about this later and expressed to them how much I regretted just staying in those situations because I didn't know and because I was really young. And I mean, the way I saw it was, OK, they see me as one of the guys. This should be a good thing. I'll progress my career when that's not that's not the case. That's or that shouldn't be the case. You shouldn't have to be a part of the boys club in order to get to the next level. So anyway, um, it was tricky. Yeah. It's this like tacit acceptance of harassment. Like even if it's like a, a one on the one to 10 scale, you know, it should be like a constant zero. Right. 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 <laughs> and, and to be fair, Spiceworks was really, really great about that, about Jen was great about calling it out. There were enough um, women and men who could could spot that to keep it really, like I was saying, light and playful. Later in my career, not as much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, totally understandable, and 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 also it's you know kind of regrettable about our culture, but you know hopefully enough of us are waking up to that or you know also kind of broadcasting that as part of our core values like that, you know, like I don't want to be considered one of the boys either. If that means like acceptance of just general harassment of other people, no matter if that's like gender, creed, age, you know, no matter right. what. So, right. I was yeah. actually doing um, some digging on this and I believe it's one third of women in technology leave their role because of sexual harassment. That's horrific and not surprising. Yes, and and it's and again, it's it's not you know from one to ten a ten, but it's all those ones that pile up, and it's and so I've I've talked to several about it. Um, I hope I quoted that number right. It's either one third or one fourth. Regardless, that's still a lot. Mm -hmm. Still that's too much. Still yeah. more than zero. Yes. <laughs> You know, I would just say anybody listening, you know, if you're a male, say something, you know, that that's not okay. It, it shouldn't just have to be the, the female's job to say something. We should spot it and, and take care of it as well. Totally agree. Totally agree. Like, we all have to own the culture, right? And just because, like, there's nobody around or you think there's nobody around to take offense doesn't mean that it's not offensive, right? And it... It just tends to be indicative of what you're willing to accept. Um, and if you're willing to accept it when somebody's not there, you're just more likely to accept, you know, moving the line when somebody is around. And, you know, we should just draw, draw a sharp kind of line in the sand and say, hey, uh, how about no harassment? Just, you know, crazy idea here. <laughs> how about we just make it comfortable for everybody, everybody to be here? Yeah. And, you know, speaking of this topic, a place where that can happen, as you mentioned, are evening and outside of work activities, kind of like conferences. 
And that's yeah. something that you, you actually had to plan a conference, if I remember right, as oh, part yeah. of the Spice World. How does one go about starting to plan something of that magnitude? I mean, what do they say? How do you eat an elephant? It's like one bite at a time. I mean, it, it's absolutely that. So to give context, what my role was is to help build Spice World, which was the conference for Spiceworks. At the time, I was there when we had our second one that was at an old movie theater. Um, we were running cables ourselves because it didn't have enough bandwidth. We get to the the actual session, and what do you know it? A squirrel chews through one of the wires, and everything goes down. I mean, it's like, who would have thought? And we, but good enough, we had a plan A, B, C, D for all of these different things. And so I think that's what was really hard about um, about putting on a conference like this is because you're not just putting on one conference, you're thinking through every decision and what's going to happen if that fails. And I guess being in IT, y'all completely understand that. Um, but ours is just more, more pressure on three days that people paid for. Um, so again, it, it was wild. It was wild. I mean, that's, I think, admirable restraint. Uh, to never say the squirrel in the machine after that. Cause I think I, that's a phrase that I would use constantly. Ah, that's just the squirrel in the machine. The <laughs> <that just> me. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. But you know what was interesting about, um, Spiceworks and the, and planning those events, the Spiceworks community was so great to give feedback. Like it was good, bad and ugly. I wanted to hear the bad stuff. That's how I was going to, we were going to grow. And so they were always just so gracious and it never came from a, oh, well, I wish it was X, Y, and Z. It was always a, hey, this was better than last year. Maybe the next year you could do, I don't know, dancing ponies and rainbows. I mean, it, so anyway, it was, it was just awesome. It was just a Unicorns. great experience. Unicorns, Unicorns right. yes, yes. I always wondered, that organization seemed to have stumbled onto the secret to create a community that was just incredibly engaged and where everybody kind of turned into an advocate for the entire community, right? Um, did you ever figure out the secret sauce behind that? Was that, was it just one thing? Um, or was it like a series of like fortunate accidents, do you think? You know, I am trying to recreate it in my, in prowess, the company that mm -hmm. I have now, we have a community. And I think one of the top things, and we talk about this a lot, the prowess community above all had empathy for each other. That was the 100% takeaway. The, the IT professionals had empathy with each other. They had empathy with the Spiceworks team because they knew that this was our livelihood and together we just wanted better. The IT professionals had had empathy for the tech marketers who needed to hit numbers and wanted to teach them about different products and services. And I think when you take a step back and you realize, okay, we're all in this together and this is a super cool thing that we're trying to build, but it's gonna take all of us having a bit of grace. I think that's what the secret was. And um, hats off to Scott Abel, the CEO. And then I, I absolutely love Jen Slasky. I think um, they were two top people who really lived and breathed that. And so it trickled down. That's really interesting to hear. Awesome. Here's one thing I'd like to know, Ashley. You mentioned you know you majored in public relations in college. You kind of jumped into this marketing thing. It looked like you pursued it with Spiceworks for somewhere around five years. At what point did you decide, you know, I could really do this kind of thing for a while or I want to do something different? So when I got to move to London, that was my dream. So I studied abroad in college and that 
margarita date that I was, well, date, it was more of an interview with Jen, um, she asked me what my long-term goals were. And I said, I want to go back to Europe. And she reverse engineered that for four years to make it so that I could then open, I would have all the skills that I need. I would have the network that I needed. I would have the um, heart and soul of Spiceworks so that I could then make that jump and be able to help open the European office. So I call Jen my, um, my real life fairy godmother. Uh, she probably hears this monthly um, because I, I <laughs> call her that all the time. Um, but what that really means, if you take a step back, is for people in the beginning of their career or really at any point of their career, finding mentors and champions and sponsors is so incredibly key to get to the next level. Couldn't have said it better. Yeah. And there's a, we, we sometimes just stumble upon them, right? There's people whose attitude is to, to help anybody that they come across. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you actually have to seek somebody out and then, you know, show value and, and show that, you know, you are somebody who's worth uh, mentoring. Um, but you have to just be open to that and, and maybe actively looking for it, right? If, yeah. If you uh, um, realize that that's something you need, I, I mean, even just not knowing that it's something that you need is is maybe something that you know we can kind of take away from that and give that advice out to people's, you know, earlier in their career, mid career, late career, you always need coaching, right? Yes. All of us always need coaching, and I, I remember, you know, the the example was, was it was Tiger Woods. He was at the top of his game, dominating golf, and he had a coach for a swing because he had somebody outside of him looking and watching what he did, right? And saying, you you are, you have a tendency to do this and it's creeping back in even though you corrected it before or, or whatever that is, we all need coaching. And um, I, so I just really love that observation. Well, and there's one distinction I would like to make and I heard this quote and I absolutely love it. So managers talk to you mentors talk with you, sponsors talk about you. And that is what is so critical. When So yes, we need coaching, but this idea of a sponsor or a, a champion who is going to build you up when you're not in the room and help you. And they always say, right, someone's going to grab a folding chair and bring it up to the table so that someone else can sit there. Like that's a sponsor. That's, that's what you need. That is a really great way to put it. And sponsorship. Yeah, yeah. That's something that I think that we, I don't think that we've talked about before, but I, I really like that. We should uh, look to dive into that a little bit further. And it's kind of like an, a little bit of a byproduct of that internal marketing that we all sort of need to do so that people know who we are and the accomplishments we've made so that they can be a sponsor for us. Kind of like Jen Slasky was for you. I, one of the points I wanted to make is I thought it was fantastic that she helped align your tasks and projects with the goals that you wanted from the beginning. And I would imagine you probably had check-ins to see if those were still the goals throughout your your career. So uh, I would hope that managers listening to this would take something away there to make sure you know what the employee wants, even if long term it's not with your company. Or, or can you make what they want to happen at your company and retain the talent? Absolutely. Absolutely. I did feel like we interrupted you um, before you got on to um, leaving uh, Spliceworks. You said you went to a startup and it was, uh, it was kind of a short-lived uh, thing there, and then you, you moved on? Yes. So um, came back stateside to Austin. I went to work at a, a probably medium-sized business. Fantastic people. Had another incredible boss. Um, but what I realized is I was doing all the same things that I had done and learned at Spiceworks. And... 
I am very much so, you know, the difference between a superstar and a rock star. No, tell us. Okay. A, um, a superstar is, is always going to be wanting the next thing, the next promotion, the next opportunity, the next, next, next. Oh, and that's how you motivate them with a rock star or what a rock star wants is being steady and being an expert in one thing. And so the way that you mot motivate rock stars are telling them how good they are, giving them recognition, giving them actually mentees so that they can, they can show off essentially their expertise. So anyway, I definitely a superstar, um, in that context. And so I, I just wanted to go to the next thing. So I too got recruited by a vendor <laughs> and I went to go work at, um, SanDisk. I was like, Ugh, what was that? It was years ago, SanDisk. And so that was my first big corporate company. And it was critical that I go there so that I could understand how big companies work. And knowing that I'm that I'm a startup girl, but also knowing that I'm I have to be able to sell into them as well. So I went into that position, seeing okay, let's see how all of this ties in together. Who is who, and and what does the permission system look like? How does all that work? So again, I would know that and be a better marketer in the future. And did you have to? dig out um, your suit again? Or was it a more relaxed corporate culture with the suit being a measurement yeah. of how uptight the culture was? You're right, right, right. Um, well, what was interesting about that was definitely more than Spiceworks. I, this time I had to travel a lot. So I was gone probably 50% of the time um, out to the Bay Area. And that was fantastic because I got to have off time with people who are were higher in the company than me. And they got to know me as a person and I got to know them as a person. However, I got laid off there. So mm -hmm. Western Digital bought SanDisk and they came to me and they said, hey, you can interview for your current position and make 30% less, or <laughs> here's this package. And I was like, give me the package. This isn't even a discussion. Um, so yes, that was, that, that was SanDisk. Was, did you feel like you had this emotional burden of I was laid off did that no. cause any kind of a slump or anything? Not at all. Not at all. I think I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I think I was ready to do my next thing anyway. And it, being laid off was actually a relief because I knew I just, I wasn't fulfilled there at that point. I was for a good year and a half, but at that point I, I needed to move on. Uh, met a lot of great people, met or uh, came out with a ton of great lessons. But yeah, it was ready for me to move on. And is that about learning to do those same tasks in a different context? But then once you were past learning about the context, it, it wasn't, it still wasn't like enough growth and progression for you? Or was it something else? I have a hard time what I realized working for big companies when there is a very structured promotion plan. If it is a, hey, in two years, you will be a manager. In two more years, you will be a manager too. I don't do well with that because I wanna be a manager in manager two in six months and I wanna be the first one to ever be <laughs> A manager too, and when that is absolutely impossible, it goes back to that superstar. I I get itchy. I'm like, okay, well, here I am taking on more responsibility because I I do need to progress, but I'm not being recognized. And then sometimes I'm stepping on toes, and that is not good at a big company. And so I just realized it wasn't for me. 
totally understandable. Yeah. That's a very interesting uh, contextual lesson um, about finding out what a growth trajectory at a company is, right? So that's something that I always um, now know to ask about Yes. when I'm interviewing, but I think earlier on, I didn't know yeah. how to ask about that. It sounds like you probably would have left there anyway, eventually. Yes. You know, Absolutely. probably not too long after the Western Digital buyout. Correct. Correct. And it's very interesting because at that point I had, I think I was engaged to my husband. And when you bring in a partner, then it's not just your decision. Like you have a household to decide. And candidly, I wasn't good at that. I wasn't good at sitting there and being like, okay, well, yes, I'm bringing in X and it's very stable. And that helps us do all these different things, I just wanted to chase the next big hurdle. And and it's tough having that conversation with your partner. And oftentimes you have to trade off on who's going to take that responsibility. Yeah. Who's going to take the next risk? Right. Next career risk. Yeah. Well, and I'm always the one who wants to take the career risk. So I'm never the one. <laughs> and sometimes he's like, Hey, remember me? I kind of, I kind of want to do my own thing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so he's doing his own thing now. That's awesome. That's super exciting to hear that that's, you know, I think that's also something that we haven't touched on, um, is the alternating career risks, right. With your partner. Um, that's, uh, yeah. Wow. Really, uh, opening. Very cool. So what was the next step for you after uh, SanDisk? So at that point, I had that entrepreneur bug. And so I started a marketing consultancy with two people from SanDisk. Hmm. And learned a lot, failed even more. If there was a mistake that you can make in entrepreneurship, I made it with this consultancy called A10. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> Hands down. I have this, you know, I hear always about successful entrepreneurs and like almost to a T, they have this string of failures behind them, right? Like you, sometimes, you know, we just can't learn any other way except to get that experience. Absolutely. And it doesn't feel like failing when you're in it. When you're in it, you know, it's the ups and downs of the day. And then after the fact, yeah, something typically bad happens and you need, or actually not always bad, a change happens. And then you look back and you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> All of those things. <laughs> wrong, 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 wrong. But I won't do them again. Yeah, yeah. Now, was this entrepreneurship bug something that developed during the SanDisk time or something that was there all along? Definitely something that was there all along. If, and this took me taking a step back and, and thinking about it, but even as Slasky's first marketing hire, I was the guinea pig, and that's what I did. They gave me things to figure out. And then I passed them off when it was time to really operationalize them. And then if you think about it, same thing with moving over to the UK. I didn't know anyone there. I didn't know what I was getting my hand, my you know self into. I that was a whole different culture. And yes, they still speak English, but it, a completely different way of doing business and a completely different way actually of go to market, which is very tough to navigate when you're not from that area. So anyway, those were two really strong indicators that I had that entrepreneurial bug. And then after Sandesk, yes, that's when it, that's when I started on my own. Um, I, I will say if you have an agency, number one thing not to do is have one big client don't have a whale. Have lots of dolphins. Don't have a whale. 
And that was the huge, huge mistake we made. Is that the, the saying, like, if you, if you owe $10,000 to a bank, then you owe the bank. But if you owe them $10 billion, then really you own the bank. So it's like if, if whoa, you're... I love this. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. If, if somebody knows that they have like basically existential power over your organization, then they're going to start leveraging that. Like that's going to be the instinct and they might try to hold back, but they're going to do it more and more and more and more. And they're going to push those lines. Right. I, I guess is kind of what you're implying. Absolutely. Absolutely. And since this podcast is all about careers and lesson learned, I, there's one thing that I definitely want to bring up about my time at A10. So my two partners, they were majority partners in the business. I was, I don't know what they called me, associate partner or something. Um, they probably had 20 plus years of experience and uh, more than I did. And both came from big, big, big companies. So there was definitely a pecking order. And what I realized is I hid my voice for a very, very long time within A10 because I assumed this position of the associate. And oh no, how could I have a good idea because I'm the lowest ranking. And oh, if, if we're doing a brainstorming, I won't brainstorm. I probably don't know enough. I'll just take the, the notes and that's how I'll contribute. And years later, I realized on how much opportunity I missed out on by not sharing what I thought and by um, letting things play out that I knew in my gut weren't right. If nothing else, you know, I always like to think, you know, if you have a bad idea in front of somebody who can give you constructive feedback on it, on why it's bad, then you learn why it's bad earlier, right? Rather than walking away thinking, no, I had the better idea. I just never told anybody and, and not finding out. Yes. Yes. Luckily, it, or, uh, unfortunately, it was not really a culture like that because it was, we were selling to big tech companies who were more buttoned up. So we needed to be buttoned up and we needed to be the experts at all times. So there was this pressure put on us to not really brainstorm, but just to always have the right answer. And that stifles creativity, that, st that stifles productivity, profitability. Yeah, I, I will never, never do that again. That's so interesting. And I've definitely felt like I've been in those situations before where you have to project um, expertise, right? And control over the situation, um, regardless of whether you have it. And ultimately, I think it, it goes back to the exact same thing that we were talking about earlier is like not being mature enough in your, um, your career and feeling safe enough to expose any kind of weakness. Yes. Right. And as soon as, you know, and I don't know exactly what that business is, but like if I was to hire somebody to come in and give me advice, I would want them to give me like, you know, 10 ideas, right? Yeah. Give yeah. me 10 ideas. Like I, I know I'm not going to like all 10, but like I need, you know, a whole bunch of ideas and, you know, creative agencies, for example, do that all the time. We're going to pitch right. this idea. Oh, you don't like it? I'm going to pitch this other idea that we have. Oh, you didn't like that? You know, here's, here's, you know, this other, you know, third idea. Oh, you like that? Great. You know, and, but at this, you know, for whatever reason, like in technology, like that's not okay, it, but it should be. It, it definitely should be. It should be for, this is a broad, probably overstatement, but for me, it was this difference between hardware and software when it comes to technology. When I was in the hardware world, it was very, it, it was much more buttoned up and software. I, I, I mean, maybe because software companies are typically newer, I, I'm not sure, but I, it definitely felt more collaborative and um, 
you could be more expressive. Yeah. yeah. A lot more ways to, to slice the pie, so right. to speak. And maybe even throwing out an idea that seems completely ridiculous to you is a way to start the creativity machine within the room. Exactly. I wish I would have. I really do. <laughs> I was remembering, I, I, you know, this is a, a random reference, but do you remember the television show House MD? Yes. It was this, it's basically um, a doctor, I want to say in a fictional hospital in New Jersey or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he's like this brilliant diagnostician, right? And the entire premise of the show is that he's hired this team of like, kind of different doctors from different backgrounds, but all young, you know, all smart in their own ways. And they are like peppering him with ideas about what could be possibly wrong with the, the patient. And inevitably the show is about him calling everybody's ideas stupid, right? And he's like super <laughs> abusive and it's not, you know, it's not a work environment that I would ever recommend. But then he, you know, he gets this insight, you know, because like this person was wrong in this exact correct way, he gets an idea about what is actually wrong, you know, and he needs other people external to him to, um, to kind of like go down the list of all the things that are possible and to try to rule them out. Now, I don't like that, you know, because it, it buy, first of all, it buys into the great man theory, which I never like, you know, it's like, um, what it takes to move history forward is like one great man with a vision who like does this thing, you know, like with tunnel vision and, and that's where, where greatness comes from and society moves forward. Like for, I think that's a myth, right? Um, it's always collaborative. It's always teams. It's always like unsung heroes and, and sung heroes, right? But we have to write history in a certain way and it's always with a narrative with a hero. So unfortunately, you know, that's how our myths are, are told too. So that's how our entertainment gets made. But um, it did buy into this idea that like you just need a bunch of people around you with different points of view than you to like shout out ideas. And they might not all be good and they might be ridiculous, but you know, eventually you coalesce around the truth by having all these different points of view. And maybe there's a person there with more experience who can say like, oh, you know, we've tried that and it doesn't work, you know, most of the time, but you know, now we're desperate, you know, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, we're desperate. So anything goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and you're exactly right about that. And that, uh, that really dovetails nicely into the topic of diversity and how important that is. So now when we're talking all about teamwork and collaboration, you need so many different views in order to have to get the best product in the end, whatever that may be. And so I, I like that you're mentioning um, teams. And I also would just yeah add that look at your teams and make sure that they come from lots of different backgrounds or had lots of different experiences because it will only be better. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about some teams at different companies where it's like, it was like super stratified, like sometimes by like country of origin of the people of the, the software engineers or the hardware oh, engineers wow. who were working on a specific project. And I was like, well, that can't be good. Right. You know, the, there's just no way that you're going to get like the best out of a team. If the team has like too much in common. And I think it's just a mistake that it's easy to make. Like I trust you because you have the same background as me. So I understand where you're coming from and we're going to naturally work together. Well, probably it's not a, true. It's a huge problem actually in, yeah. in our workforce right now. It's, it's this whole idea of culture fit versus culture ad. Yes. So the idea of culture fit is, Hey, you, you fit in here and you're just like me and you're, it, this is going to be smooth sailing coaching culture ad is more, hey, you can bring something amazing to the table that's only going to make us better. So anyway, I really, really like that breakdown. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's even like kind of scientifically proven. Maybe, maybe that's going a little bit too strong. But there's the example of, um, and this is like the, I don't, I don't remember the reference, but I'll dig it up. But it was like, 
this was in the UK and they had like a, a county fair or whatever the equivalent was. And they had like a bunch of farmers like guessing the weight of like the prize steer. Right. And then they had just everybody else throwing the guesses. Right. And the average of all the uninformed people's guesses was like a pound off. Wow. So whereas like none of the experts got within like anywhere close to that. Right. So it's like this idea of like, you can have a bunch of people maybe who don't even have a a background in that thing. Um, but with different points of view and you can coalesce around the truth and, you know, not that we should make all of our decisions about things like that way, you know, just get a bunch of people walking by to make guesses about (laughs) what the answer should be. But I think having like the idea was having a diversity of opinion, diversity of backgrounds, you know, diversity of, you know, points of view, you know, all expressed, you know, freely and in a safe environment, then you, you start to get, you get somewhere. Absolutely. That wasn't a question. It was just a statement. Yeah. Well, here's my statement. We keep running into, in my mind, range by David Epstein, this idea that generalists triumph in a specialized world. So that all the diverse backgrounds and this cross domain expertise applied to a new area that maybe they know nothing about. Like it just keeps blowing up my brain. The last four or five podcasts we've talked. So if you haven't read range by David Epstein, it's one of the best books I've ever read. So writing it down. Yeah. And we'll have a link in the show notes, but if you read the show notes to the show, then it'll be, you know, you'll, you'll have seen the same link in like four or five episodes in a row range so um yeah but we'll include it anyway we always do (laughs) you know we talked a little bit about the culture and different points of view actually when you're on a small team of partners and you know you decide to leave or someone else decides to leave to pursue something else how does that go and affect and how does that affect the culture of that team for us when i when i say we failed in Always, I definitely meant that. For us, the way that A10 dissolved was we lost our whale client. The whole company imploded. <laughs> um, so in that instance, when you when you talk about the culture, you know, and so there's no longer obviously an A10 to have a culture, but it's really hard to even think about what's next and so we just decided to um to stop operation and not that we're not all friends it's not like that um Mm -hmm. but again yeah just wasn't wasn't good interesting so you learned a bunch of lessons along the way but included in that was like what you would do entering into a partnership again probably and then maybe even an eye on like entering into a partnership sometimes means anticipating how you're going to break up the partnership. Right. That's, that's a really good point. Kind of of what contract law is all about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully nobody's thinking about their marriage that way, John. (laughs) I, I was actually just thinking about that, that exact thing. Like that's what a prenuptial agreement essentially is. Right. It's like saying, we expect everything to work out, but in the off chance that it does not, this is how we're agreeing to like gracefully part ways, which is generally how partnerships are also like structured, right? Like this is what we're all putting in. And then if we break up, this is what we all take away from it. And the percentage ownership that we have of everything. I don't necessarily want to think about my marriage that way. So (laughs) <laughs> and and I'm sure that there's a bunch of like, you know, divorce lawyers going, oh, you probably should though. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Rolling around in their Benjamins. Yep. I'm yeah. sure they are. <laughs> we're, we're big in the divorce law community. <laughs> oh, that's good. There's no we, John, just you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
started off there. Um, it's so interesting to hear about that transition from going from uh, startups, essentially, to the big corporation and then to entrepreneur. That just really f interesting uh, insights and, and fascinating transitions there. Yeah, and it was really that first job in marketing where she got to be the guinea pig and test out all these programs to see if they worked and then hand them off to someone else. Yeah, I, I think she didn't really mention it, but, you know, underlying that discussion, you know, something that I thought in the back of my head was, well, you had, you know, a manager that after the first time you did something like that, really trusted you to be the pioneer in figuring out if something worked or not. Um, so, you know, hats off to uh, Jen and uh, hats off to Ashley for for the, the transformation and, and career progression that she's made. Just really fascinating. I think, you know, really quickly, I'd like to call out too, like that, that interesting um, idea of, you know, you don't like harassment doesn't need to come like, like at a seven or eight or on the scale, like it can just be a series of ones and it's, it can be just as damaging. Right. And, and it's really important for all of us to stand up and say, Hey, you know, that, that's not okay with me, you know, regardless of your gender and, you know, um, maybe more important for, for guys to, to say it, you know, especially, you know, if, if women aren't around and, and people seem to think that, oh, you know, if nobody's around, then, you know, it's okay to, to say like, you know, say certain things. And it's like, well, no, it's, you know, harassment is harassment, like, you know, and negativity is negativity. And if you set that tone, then it just spills over. Absolutely. If you see something, say something. I had a, there was an operations manager at the manufacturing company that I worked for years ago who said, who's in charge of safety? Everybody. And in this case, it's the yeah. same, right? Yeah, exactly. Cultural safety, emotional safety. Yeah. It's all the same. Well, um, anything else before we get out of here? I just... I wonder how many people out there have considered whether they are a rock star or a superstar, as Ashley mentioned. Are you chasing the next thing or are you, would you rather be, you know, excellent at, at your existing craft and just continue to get better and better? Yeah, I wonder how many people out there think that they're uh, mentors or sponsors. I don't know. Yeah. This episode sponsored by the John White School of Mentoring. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. All right, farewell listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at the journeyman for Nick Cordy at network underscore signing off. Adios. Adios.